So we've been involved in a two-part series now for quite some time. Part one being the fact that Jesus is Lord, period. Not exclamation, period. Second part being, if Jesus is Lord, then who am I? And talking about our identity in Christ. Knowing who we are in relation to God is of tantamount importance uh, for any individual, but even more so for a born-again believer who must learn to hear their Lord's voice in order to do their Lord's work. Jesus addressed this on several occasions. In John 10:14, he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And again in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Notice that Jesus links the ability to hear his voice directly to the intimacy of knowing and being known by him, as we discussed last week. There are so many voices vying for our attention and seeking our devotion, but there is only one who is worthy worthy to hear our voices expressing our adoration, praise, and worship. He is the one voice that can reach to the very depths of our soul and awaken our spirits to truth so powerful that it sets us free. A voice so tempered with love that it repairs the broken heart, lifts up the downtrodden, and brings peace to the troubled mind. Have you heard his voice today? felt the warmth and assurance of his love wrapping itself around your heart, it's available to you. It's his desire. I was thinking this past week in my meditations, it's kind of an odd, uh, been an odd week for me. Uh, normally I would plan out a word and have certain subcategories and have it all on paper and then search out the scriptures and begin to develop uh, this word came slightly different. I was at the end of a quite busy Monday and was upstairs. And I don't know if you've ever been up to my office. I have a swing in my office. Uh, and about 3.30, I got in that swing, and I put my head back, and I just began to think about the voices that come from the Scriptures They speak to us, various men and women whose lives and words carry through the ages to help fashion our character and compel us on in our pursuit of those things that belong to the kingdom of God. So all of, all of what you're hearing today came out of about three days of just musing this stuff in my head, just considering different statements that have been made. I'm going to share those individuals and those statements and my conclusions with you. And we're going to come to a place that I, I really didn't guess I would come to at the end. 
I was thinking of Ruth speaking to Naomi in Ruth 1.16. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. How these words rang true to my heart, because I also have found such a one. His God is my God. His people are my people. Where he goes, I will follow. And I will live in his house for all the days of my life. I was thinking about the words of Mordecai to his niece. When trouble had come to the people of God and they stood at the very brink of destruction, Esther had been selected to be the queen of Persia. Although unknown to the king, she was a Jewess and held the only opportunity to usher in salvation for her rejected and condemned people. Mordecai said to her, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time is this. These words beckon to us across the ages to grab our attention to our own place and times for God's purposes in his kingdom. Is this our time? Yes, it is. Such a time as this has been appointed to us, and God is for us. We are his bride, and he is our king. And there is a people out there whose salvation depends on our good courage. And if you need courage, there is, of course, David, who even as a young boy spoke words of such truth and power that they rattled hell itself and shook the confidence of God's enemies to the core. In 1 Samuel 17, 45, David, I believe at this time, is somewhere between 14, maybe 17 years old at the max. David said to the Philistine, Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the enemy comes in like a flood against me, when things seem to be at their worst, I know that I have a strong tower to run to, a bastion of defense against the forces of darkness. I can call upon the name of the Lord of hosts, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved, and that name is Jesus. Philippians 2.9 says this, Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name, God has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you think that just has to do with people, you're sadly mistaken, because he includes under the earth. And there have been times in deliverance ministry where I've forced demons to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I've had to make them bow their knee before the lordship of Jesus Christ and surrender their strongholds on the lives of the people being set free. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow, whether in heaven, on the earth, or under the earth. There is such power in the name given, the name of Jesus Christ. What power, what splendor, what glory and strength. Listen to the confession of the early church regarding the name of Jesus. This is Peter speaking. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Do you need to be made strong today? Are you feeling weak? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Are you feeling like, I don't know if I can go on from this place? I'm giving you a weapon today. I'm giving you the name of Jesus. He will strengthen you in the inner man. Speak his name against those things that are against you. You will be an overcomer. It's guaranteed. It's written in the word. It's speaking out of the scriptures to you today. There is an escape for you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. There's healing in the name of Jesus. There's deliverance in the name of Jesus. There's victory in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's freedom and liberty in the name of Jesus. There's salvation in the name of Jesus. There's no other name where you can get any of that. It's all wrapped up, and God ordained it himself. And, of course, there's David, the writer of the Psalms, the worshiper extraordinaire who could weave his words into such powerful expressions of praise and worship that his songs and poems have endured for 3,000 years and have continued to be a wellspring for millions as they have journeyed through the course of their lives. Now, tell me you don't recognize this. If this is your first time ever being in a church... You're going to recognize this psalm written by David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love this line out of Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. 
My soul longs. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Of course, David is king, whose words come down through the ages to teach us humility and repentance and brokenness before the Lord when confronted with our own sin. Psalm 51, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Now here it comes. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud for your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would have given it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. How many songs did you recognize in those psalms? How many tunes and melodies are stirring around in your head just hearing the readings of those. Then there are the words of the Master himself, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And there are no greater words found spoken within the time frame of history and perhaps even in prehistory. His words are the very staying power of our relationship with the Father, our connecting point to the kingdom of heaven and our source of all wisdom and life, as Peter came to realize and confess in John 6, 68. Simon Peter answered him, saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Consider his parables, the truth the turn-the-world-upside-down impact of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, his life-enhancing declarations of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, and the power of his words to both heal and deliver. And who could ever forget this eternal classic? Luke 23, 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
Even the scriptures themselves have a voice all their own. The Bible, the word of God, certainly there is no other recorded document in existence that has had and continues to have so much influence over so many lives. Genesis, the book of beginnings, opens with the very voice of God himself speaking words saturated with creative substance, bringing into existence all that is from nothing that ever was other than the sound of his voice. Space, time, and matter flowed from his lips. Planets and stars, animals and birds, plant life and oceans full of fish, and then the culmination of all his creative utterance. He adds to his voice, touch and breath. In Genesis 2-7, then the Lord God formed. He took that red clay earth and formed man. From the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature. Why? Why so much investment? Genesis 1.26 answers that. He said, Then the Lord said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. Because we are image bearers, he spoke his word and then formed us in his image and breathed his very breath, his Zoe breath, the breath of God, into our being and gave us life and life more abundant. We are designed by original intent to look like, act like, and speak like him. Jesus is Lord, and I am his image bearer. Jesus is Lord, and you are his image bearer. If you could hold a mirror before yourself today and look at yourself and say, I see Jesus, you would not be far from the truth because you are being conformed into that image from glory to glory to glory, and it's the work of God. In the book of Genesis, it is God who speaks the first words. But have you ever wondered who spoke the last words? Does anyone think that way? Yeah. Do you question yourself that way? God spoke. I wonder who spoke the last ones. Yeah. Who spoke the last words in Genesis? It was Joseph. Joseph, the son of Jacob, sold into slavery by his brothers, imprisoned in Egypt by false accusation. He then emerges, because of God's gifting in his life, to the second most powerful position in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. It is his words that close out the book of Genesis. And I feel like this should somehow... Be significant, don't you? So what does he say? Genesis 50, 25, these are the last recorded words. 
in the book of beginnings. Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here, because I don't want to miss it. God will surely visit you. And it is these words that resonate in my heart and spirit today. It is these words coming down from the lips of Joseph in Egypt 4,000 years ago that make such a time as this even possible for us. God will surely visit you. God will surely visit you. God is intending to visit you. One of these days, God is going to show up in your life, in your house, in your sanctuary, in your car, in your workplace, in your supermarket, wherever you happen to be when that moment comes, God will surely visit you. Isn't that good news? And all that has ever been spoken comes to a reality in him. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are, well, maybe. No? Is that right? What is it, John? Yes and amen. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. And when he comes to visit you, he will fulfill them all. Because he is the word of God. And you and I bear his image. Jesus is Lord, and I am his image bearer. I'd like you to stand with me. I'm going to ask you to say that if it's true for you, if you believe that that's even possible. Jesus is Lord, and I am his image bearer.